Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, actually has a day off today because I've traveled up to Titusville, Florida to visit the Brevard County Sheriff's Office to meet with Sheriff Wayne Ivey. And folks, let me tell you, you're in for a special treat today. Sheriff Ivey is one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my entire life. Dynamic, funny, very entertaining, and he knows his stuff. And this episode is our Cuff'em and Stuff'em episode in tribute to Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. So Sheriff Ivey is a true treasure to Brevard County. He is um, uh, an innovator when it comes to law enforcement. We're going to get in that, um, into that today. He does a lot of work with charity and just an overall good guy. So I'm really thrilled to have him on the show. So Sheriff, thanks so much for coming on Living the Dream. Oh, thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me, man. We're excited about this. So, of course, I got Junie with me. And mm-hmm. um, we, uh, yeah, we've been looking forward to doing this and, and uh, just uh, you know sharing some of the great work that the men and women of the Sheriff's Office do here in uh, Brevard County. Yeah, I know, and um, you know, you recently spoke to the Lead Brevard program that I was at, and uh, it was a very entertaining and uh, informative tour. And you know, the law enforcement thing—it's a—it's a big thing going on now. So I wanted to have you on just to kind of tell me what the status is of the issues you guys are dealing with, sure. uh, tips for listeners, and also just brag on Brevard County because a lot of people may not know about Brevard County other than like the space programs and. Um, uh, Cocoa Beach. So why is Brevard County a great place to live and visit? Well, I, I think the first thing you, um, you have to look at when you answer that question is um, how we how we deal with things here. Um, uh, you know, when I first ran for sheriff, I came up with a, a phrase of it takes community to protect a community. And to be honest with you, I, I didn't really understand the significance of that phrase because it's not just about protecting the community against crime or against things of that nature. Um, it's about protecting the community in every capacity, working with our not-for-profits, helping those that are in time of need, working with animals to make sure that, that um, you know, we, we as Brevard County are a place where people want to come. They want to they raise their families. They want to work. They want to play, have their kids go to the best schools. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I just love about this is how everybody rolls up their sleeves and uh, they get everything done. And if you have a, if we have a critical incident, you know, you can look back through the years of critical incidents that have happened, uh, whether it was one of the, the uh, explosions at the Space Center with the shuttle uh, or just the hurricanes that have, that have sometimes, you know, pounded our coast. When, when you look at how this community responds to that, it's a, it's a community effort, and it's everybody working together. And I think that's probably the best part about this is everybody mm-hmm. here is uh, in it for the right reason. You know, and Brevard County is a, a fastly growing community, too. With uh, Of course, I work with the Vieira Company, and this is a fun project. I'm not here at work, but a fun project. But, you know, we're growing leaps and bounds there. Um, we've got all these jobs coming in for the space jobs with Elon Musk Project. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeff Bezos, and so with more people comes more work for the sheriff's department. It does. Um, you know, and you talk about the Vieira Corporation. They are great partners with us. Um, uh, in fact, they're just not just great partners with the sheriff's office. They're great partners with this community. They do a lot of different uh, things that have really not only helped the community, but have really been the lead in, in the growth of this community. If you go and you look and consider the, the amount of homes that have not only been built there, but are projected to be built there, mm-hmm. um, the growth of the Space Center, you go back. You go back just seven or eight years ago, and the projection for the space center and for Titusville and the surrounding area was doomed. It was. It was very. You know, um, 
negative that the Space Center had closed and, and uh, there were going to be all sorts of problems. And then all of a sudden, private industry hits the page and we start seeing incredible growth. And mm-hmm. Vieira has been a part of that. And, you know, when you look at uh, Brevard County, it's funny because I, I tell people I'm from Titusville and uh, nobody, nobody ever says, uh, uh, that's where the Space Center is, or that's where that, they always say, um, is that where Dixie Crossroads is and uh, the, the seafood restaurant here? Mm-hmm. But when you look at the amazing things that are right here in Brevard County, not, not just the Space Center, but the different corporations, you know, um, uh, just all, all of them, Harris Corporation and on and on, that, that are here giving great people great jobs, giving um, uh, back to the community. Uh, it's, it's an amazing place to, mm-hmm. to be in. I, I tell you, man, I love it here. This is my home. Well, I moved here in uh, 2016, and it was very similar to where I grew up in western Kentucky. And, you know, you've got the great beaches, which in Kentucky we didn't have beaches, but we have really nice lakes, fishing, oh, yeah. outdoor activities. And I just feel like more and more people are, are looking for that, especially like parents who are wanting to get their kids off of the phone and gaming and things like that. And so you can do any out, any outdoor activity you want to do in Brevard County except snow skiing, I guess. That, that's exactly right. But, you know, if you look at this area... Um, anything you want to do is here from, from fishing to hunting, to the beaches, to sports activities, the proximity of Brevard County to the theme parks. Uh, in fact, there's really no place in central Florida or in the state of Florida that you can't be within a couple hours. If you're, if you're in Brevard County, you can be in Miami in a couple hours. You can be in Tampa in a couple hours. You can be in Orlando in 40 minutes. You can be in Jacksonville an hour and 40 minutes. Um, and, you know, you're really very, very well located in this community. So the accessibility to other areas uh, here, you mm-hmm. know, and we, we call this the gateway to space, but it's the gateway to a lot of Florida as well. Now we have the second busiest passenger cruise terminal that, that's here. And it's just, man, it's an amazing place to be. I get up every day and I can't believe that I get to be the sheriff in, in this community and uh, um, to see all the different things that grow. And, you know, if you go back and you look at, what do people look at when they're going to move to an area? First thing they look at is the crime rate. Um, our crime rates dropped 33% uh, in the past seven years here in Brevard County. Population's increased, but the crime rate's decreased. The next thing people look at is what, what are the schools like? Our schools are A schools. They're through the roof in, in academics. And they're pu- mainly public, too, not the private where you're having to pay 20000 Exactly, yeah. Then they, they look at employment opportunities. Uh, I mean, that's just through the roof here, especially with all the new growth at the Space Center and the port and everything else. Um, and then they look at activities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look across the board, this place has is recruiting new life to come here and new people to come here and share and enjoy what we have. Yeah. So we got a lot of good things going on in Brevard County. And, um, you know, so how did you get your start in law enforcement? Um, believe it or not, I got started. Um, I was in high school up in, I was born and raised in Florida. I was up near um, a little town called Green Cove Springs up near Jacksonville. And uh, I was in high school and a school resource deputy by the name of Mike Lawrence uh, introduced me to law enforcement. He taught a class, introduced me to it, got me into being an explorer. Um, I graduated from high school and a month later became a corrections deputy at the, uh, the local sheriff's office. So, um, you know, I always tell everyone that um, it was a school resource deputy that, that opened my eyes to what a great job this is. And uh, now we see the value of school resource deputies and not only that, but in protecting our schools mm-hmm. and uh, the things that they do every day. So uh, it's been a great job. I've had a chance to serve in corrections, worked as a deputy sheriff, as an investigator. 
Uh, got, uh, got blessed to be hired by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, where I spent 20 years with them working as a special agent and then a special agent supervisor, and then eventually ended my career with them as the resident agent in charge for uh, Volusia and Brevard County. Mm-hmm. And then I ran for sheriff. And uh, um, just, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those where I never thought I'd get to serve as sheriff, but uh, man, it's what an incredible opportunity. Well, I do know that um, when I was telling people that I was going to interview you today on the show, a lot of people were very excited. I mean, there are some of my work colleagues, and they're like, you know, Sheriff Ivy's on there. Well, I'm definitely going to listen to that show. <laughs> of course, my, my assistant, um, her husband works with you guys. And, yeah, Ron. Yeah. You know, have a lot of good things to say. Yeah. So in your tenure as sheriff, which started in 2013, mm-hmm. a lot of awards have come along the way with the sheriff's office. Uh, why is the sheriff's office here in Brevard County such a great organization? Well, the the quick, easy, and honest answer to that is um, the fifteen hundred people that work here. You know, mm-hmm. I tell everybody, I'm surrounded by an amazing team, and I'm smart enough to stay out of their way. In fact, that is my greatest leadership quality: staying out of the way of good people. Uh, if you recruit good people in, um, they're going to do the job, and you just have to believe in them. Uh, you know, one of the things about our agency that I think just gives our team the amazing support they have is. Our community loves us. They, the men and women that are out there, this community knows they're putting their lives on the line every day to protect them. And our community loves us, they trust us, and they protect us just as much as we love, trust, and protect them. So mm-hmm. that's that's a great feeling. And I'm telling you, it, it's not that way throughout this this uh, country and probably throughout the world. Uh, it's a very unique place we, we have here. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the awards that this agency gets, the accolades that they get, are all the result of the men and women here. Um, you know, the, the the person that wears the, the stars on their collar here, um, they, everybody always goes, oh, that, there, there's the sheriff and this and that. Man, I, I just wanna be like the deputies out there. I just wanna be like the corrections deputies. I wanna be like the communications officers because they're the ones that are really the, the protective blanket over this community. And so um, all the stuff that this agency does is a result of their hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that's very interesting, and you spoke about it when you uh, spoke with Lee Brevard, is uh, the innovation of social media oh, yeah. in um, law enforcement. You've done your Wheel of Fugitive, which is fantastic. I encourage everybody to follow the Brevard County Sheriff's Office on Facebook and, and YouTube. But, you know, things like that, um, other programs that you have, talk about the importance of social media in law enforcement. So social media today is really community policing of, of yesteryear. Um, when you look at what community policing was, it was the ability to reach out um, and outreach to your community to share information with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only thing that's changed is the medium that we do it through um, and the, the way that we're able to do it in an in a immediate way. Um, where before we would go into a, a, a neighborhood and we would talk to the, the homeowners association about how many burglars we'd had in the area. What we're really telling people is how many victims we'd had. Today, through social media, we're able to tell people immediately what type of crimes are taking place and how to protect themselves from it. And that's a big part of why the crime rates drop so much, because we're getting our citizens vital crime prevention information before they become a victim instead of after. But yeah. social media is community policing of the day. We, we have so much fun on our Facebook page. I know that sounds odd to say in a law enforcement arena, but um, we have a blast. Um, we, we mix humor into everything that we possibly can. When it's time to be serious, we are ultra serious. But when we can, when we can maybe catch somebody's eye through a little bit of humor and deliver a subliminal message in there, 
of, you know, make sure you're locking your car doors or don't text and drive. All of the little things that we do, um, even Wheel of Fugitive, you know, you talk about Wheel of Fugitive. Um, it's it's at, just as it sounds, it's a big giant wheel with 10 fugitives on it. I spend it every Tuesday night. Whoever it lands on, that's who we're trying to put in jail that week. And we have an 88% success rate. Really? And, uh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, the, uh, the University of Central Florida did a full study on Wheel of Fugitive. And within the first three to five days, 88% of them either turn themselves in or are captured because of citizens' help. And a lot of them go turn themselves in now because— And they take that free ride back well, to the gym. Exactly. Right? That's right. They get the free ride from the fugitive unit. But a lot of them, what happens is the their inner circle, maybe it's their mom, their dad, their brother, sister, say, hey, you're on the wheel of fugitive. You better get your life straight. You better get it turned around. And so they go turn themselves in. Um, and when they do— we put up on our Facebook page, this person took the right step to getting their life straightened out, and we should all applaud them mm -hmm. for having that courage to do so. Um, you know, we, we, we try to come up with some, some different things. Uh, we've got some uh, uh, different commercials that we've, we've uh, pulled out uh, that, uh, you know, they say that um, uh, a copy and somebody's stuff is, is the best form of flattery you can give them. We, we look at the commercials on TV that catch people's eyes, and we, uh, we, we use it. And, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of that. Uh, my good friend Sam Pack of Appliance Direct. Uh, everybody knows the Appliance Direct commercials here mm -hmm. in, in Central Florida. Sam Pack's a great friend, an animal lover like we are. And so I asked him to do a commercial for us sometime back, uh, and we converted one of his commercials for Appliance Direct to a commercial to come adopt at our animal services um, mm -hmm. center. And it was it was hilarious. I mean, it was Sam Pack doing it uh, as he does the Appliance Direct, and it was, um, uh, you know, um, I love this place. And, and instead of, you know, instead of one of his one-liners about an appliance, it was about a dog or a cat that we had in there. Mm -hmm. So we try and have some fun, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is reach as many people as possible. Yeah, and you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing because I, when I moved here, I mean, I think you were MC of a, an Eagle Scout event, but then I heard about Wheel of Fugitive. I'm like, well, this seems pretty cool. And I was like, well, wait a second, this is a sheriff in Brevard County doing this, and it was kind of fun and interactive, and yeah. it was, and I was seeing the number of people that liked it, and I was like, you know, it's getting the word out, like you said. It does, and you know, the the it other cost thing, you anything it either. doesn't cost anything. Social media is, you know, if you consider that if our crime prevention team goes out and does in-person presentations, we know through statistics that will reach 2 to 3% of the population in Brevard mm -hmm. County by doing in-person. Doesn't mean they're not valued because they are. In fact, tremendous value, being able to go into homeowners associations, uh, schools, everywhere else, and build relationships with, with our citizens. But through social media, with the push of a button between our Twitter account, our Facebook pages, um, even Junie has his own Facebook page, Where is Junie? Uh, between all of those, we reach, just in the push of a button, we reach about 175,000 people, mm. and then they share it. So on most weeks, we're reaching 250,000, 300,000 people in our, in our posts. Yeah. You can't do that without that sense of, of that medium being available. And as you said, it doesn't cost us anything yeah. to do it. And, you know, even with um, in the, my real job with uh, the Vieira Company, social media is very, very important when it comes to our communications as well as with HOAs. And, you know, they have the residents have their own things, and we'll – here through the grapevine what's going on there but it's like it's a police watching thing within the community and they'll be like yep. hey you know who's that guy with the rv over there and that's right well perfect example right now we're about to roll out in the next few weeks um a golf cart safety video 
and uh, um, that should be directed to Vieira. And, well, we we've done it where it's directed to Suntree and Vieira, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course we know that not only will we put it out, but you guys will share it too yes. at the Vieira Corporate. So so again, we're reaching that huge dynamic and able to get them vital crime prevention information, or in this case, safety information, mm-hmm. before somebody gets hurt. And yeah, uh, I know we've been working on that. I'm glad that, to hear that. Um, you probably know Eva Ray, my colleague. From, uh, absolutely. Um, met with Eva Eva's been times. on the show. She's one of our top guests as far as rankings. But um, it's a big issue in Vieira because a lot of people want to cross over um, I-95 to go from Vieira East to Vera West. Yeah. And now with us having that interchange there, it's really not safe at all, and it's not allowed yeah. under the Brevard Code. That's right, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it. even even if you go down to Wickham, people that live in Suntree want to try and get into, you know, the Vieira and, and, and uh, the Avenue and stuff on their golf carts, and it's not allowed. So, yeah. But th- we address all that in the video. But if you go back and you look, if we were trying to message that through in-person presentations, we would never get it out. We're going to be able to put it out through social media, and you're going to share it, and mm-hmm. Suntree's going to share it, and on and on. And before you know it, we've reached a, a big uh, a portion of our population. Yep. And you know it. That's that's a trend of the future too. You even look at companies doing with dealing with advertising and stuff like that. They're very heavy on social media. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you even look at um, you know what we're doing right now with the podcast. Um, it's a new dynamic that's out there. Um, we're we're um, actually you know doing podcasts on the go with BCSO. But if you think about it, people today want to want to hear their information. They want it consistent with where they are or what they're doing, and they they want they're they're thirsty for information. They're thirsty for awareness. They're thirsty mm-hmm. for you know the the different things that are happening. So. Instead of sitting there and trying to watch this, you can listen to it while you're going to work. You can, you know, you listen to it while you're on your lunch break, and mm-hmm. those those are powerful tools that we, we didn't have before. That's right. Yep. My podcast started, I guess, in September. Yeah. So, and and you look, you know, I mean, you have your dynamic of followers. You have the ability to reach, and then more people are joining, and more people are are getting that information. And it goes back to something I say all the time: um, you show me any problem in this world today. And I'll show you where education and awareness are going to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this is about. You know, it's about being able to educate the public through social media and getting that information out to them, letting them be the first line of defense for them and their family. And, and uh, they, you know, if, if they know how to defend themselves, if they know that we're getting hit with car burglaries in this area, mm-hmm. They know they need to lock their cars up, keep their garage doors down. Whatever it is, if they can get that information before they become a victim, then we've done our job. Right. So, well, I kind of, guess kind of leading into that, what are the biggest crime issues facing Brevard County right now, or even the state of Florida? Because, you know, we'll face issues in Brevard County, but it's something that Orlando's dealing with or Tampa, or maybe it's spreading up from yeah. Miami. I, I think the, the largest issue facing anyone right now, and it's not just in the state of Florida, certainly not just in Brevard County, you can go across the country and I would imagine probably across the globe, is the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. That is That is the biggest thing. If you figure that um, in the past 24 months, we've had 172 overdose deaths in Brevard County. Um, that's that's 172 moms, dads, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, nieces, mm-hmm. nephews that are all gone from us, co-workers, friends, fellow high school graduates that are all gone from us now. Mm-hmm. And um, the the opioid epidemic doesn't it doesn't understand social economic status, race, sex, anything. All it understands is twofold. Addiction and greed. Those are the only two things. And um, it's split right down the middle. 
and those that are addicted and suffering by it, and it's not just them suffering, it's their family suffering as well, mm-hmm. and then the greed of those that are peddling this poison that are, that are actually preying upon the greed or the, the addictions of others yeah. with this. So that's without question the biggest issue that any of us are facing. And, you know, the, the biggest problem to that is how do we stop it? How do we, how do we get it behind us? And I don't know if there's an answer for that yet. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that what we're doing at the sheriff's office, what we're doing in Brevard County is we're taking a multi-pronged approach. We are, we are aggressively targeting those that are peddling this poison. We are working to get those that are addicted to it off of it. We're working to um, help our veterans because they're impacted by it as well. Working to be prepared to respond, you know, through Narcan and, and, uh, you know, substances that can quickly be administered to save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. Working to educate our younger generation about the hazards of this. And so it's a multi-layer plan, and I kind of equate it to a bulletproof vest. Um, a bulletproof vest, if you know anything about it, it's layer after layer after layer of material that when woven together becomes so strong, it'll stop a bullet. But mm-hmm. one layer by itself, you could poke your finger through it. And so we have to have all of these layers um, in place. I know the way my parents um, got that message through to me was um, we were big fans of the Blues Brothers, through John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. And, of course, John Belushi had a terrible cocaine problem and died and my mom said you don't want to end up like John Belushi do you no so that that and I was a big fan of Chris Farley and he had the same thing same thing yeah but um you know sometimes people feel the peer pressure to start and then all of a sudden you start and then you get addicted and it leads to something else and it's in in opioids it's even worse too because some people don't have the intention whether you know and you're right people do they whether it's through peer pressure or just through saying oh it won't happen to me whatever it is but there are others out there that get addicted to it through they got in a motorcycle wreck and broke their leg and mm-hmm. and you know the addiction or they're a, a, one of our seniors that is struggling with pain and they they get addicted to it and the the fine line that has to be walked is we we need to respond to this epidemic and mm-hmm. and I say that with the thought of if you react to it we won't be successful in fixing it. We You're have behind to, we, the curve. That's exactly right. So we have to respond to it. We have to start looking at how can we help those that are already addicted, but more importantly, how can we prevent others from becoming addicted to it? Mm-hmm. You know, one thing about drugs, and um, I didn't have it on my sheet here, but one of the things that's kind of uh, starting to be more and more controversial is medical marijuana versus legal marijuana. And where I'm from in Kentucky, um, we're right on the border of southern Illinois, and Illinois passed marijuana. And so... Some of my friends are even prosecutors. They're like fighting it tooth and nail from where they're from in Kentucky or Indiana. Of course, other states have passed it. Uh, Florida is, I guess, medical marijuana, and I think it's only a matter of time before it becomes yeah. legal. Uh, what's your take on that? Is that a good thing? Well, I mean, I guess I'll just say what's your take on that? Yeah, so um, I, I actually have a couple different positions on it. I'll share them because okay. they've kind of timelined out. So um, I, I was one of the strongest opponents of um, medical marijuana as it was put on the ballot here in, in um, our state. And the reason for that was the forms that it was it was being presented in, you know, being mm-hmm. able to smoke it and everything else. There are certain forms of medical marijuana that I would stand on the steps of the Capitol and tell you to, to, to pass, to legalize. Charlotte's Web, for example, that helps mm-hmm. a child with epilepsy or even an adult with epilepsy. There, there are forms of it. Um, but I fought it at, at, on the front uh, of, of trying to keep it in those forms. But then it became even more apparent 
and this is what I was telling everybody, this, this medical marijuana in its capacity that they're putting it on the ballot is being used as the tip of a spear mm-hmm. to get recreational marijuana. And, and we're seeing it. They're, mm-hmm. they're already trying to put recreational marijuana on the ballot. History will repeat itself. If you go back and look at what happened in Colorado and Seattle and all those other places, medical marijuana, tip of the spear, then recreational. And if you talk to the law enforcement folks in those areas, what they will tell you is that it is destroying their communities. That's what my friend uh, who is a prosecutor in um, Indiana was saying. Yeah, it is absolutely destroying their communities. Uh, It is having effects that no one ever predicted. Uh, um, Traffic fatalities uh, just through the roof. Um, Problems Mm -hmm. that nobody ever predicted. So we we have to be very careful not to allow the tip of the spear to penetrate into our communities. We have Mm -hmm. to stop it right now. But to, to the ballot initiative that was put forward, um, I took an oath to uphold the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And so as, as someone who defends the Constitution with every ounce of energy and passion I have, um, I took an oath to uphold it. And so when the citizens of the great state of Florida spoke, mm-hmm. and they spoke overwhelmingly that mm-hmm. they wanted to you know, put it, put it in, in play, my job shifted. I had to shift from opposing it, uh, once, it was, once it was balloted in, to now trying to help implement it without negatively impacting public safety. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's one of those where um, you may not agree with what's on there, but it is part of the Constitution now. And so our job is to help implement it without impacting us in a negative way. But I do believe we have to stop here. Mm-hmm. It has to stop right here. The, the citizens of this great state have to say enough is enough. We've now got medical marijuana where it's capable of helping people. Um, we don't need to make it recreational where people are just going to be doing crazy things out there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what, what happens. Um, you know, as far as like other cr- crime issues, one of the big things um, has been Internet crime, mm-hmm. um, even like credit card fraud at gas pumps, things like that. Um, what are you guys doing to uh, address that? And- sure. And, and you hit it right on the head there with uh, the credit card fraud at the gas pumps. Um, our economic crimes unit is is taking off organizations every day. When I say every day, I'm not exaggerating. We're constantly arresting uh, organizations that are going to the gas pumps using stolen credit cards, stealing literally thousands of gallons of fuel every day, mm-hmm. selling it out on on the black market, um, and using stolen credit cards to buy it all with. So mm-hmm. they go buy diesel fuel. I don't know what diesel fuel costs, but let's just say it's three dollars. Mm-hmm. They're selling it for a dollar. Uh, to to those that'll buy it from, and they're buying it in large form, whether it's whether it's um, over the road truck drivers or contractors, whomever it is, they're buying the the stolen gas, mm-hmm. and they're buying it all with credit cards. So you know, when you look at other crimes that impact us, um, uh, Florida leads the nation in fraud, and uh, and certainly in identity theft and targeting our seniors because we have such a strong senior base. So it is, it is a nonstop uh, whirlwind to try, even contractor fraud. Florida leads the nation in contractor fraud. And so our economic crimes unit stays extremely busy. I've got, um, I've got about 10 people in that unit. I could put 10 more in there and they'd be busy tomorrow. Yeah. What are some tips you have for people to um, maybe protect themselves better? Because, I mean, so many people, they go and they pay at the pump. And I've heard, okay, well, push credit and... You know, I guess I get old-fashioned now, and I, I just go into the store. Yeah, so, you know, um, certainly going into the store is, is one of the things that will help. Sometimes people will say, oh, pay with cash. 
don't we we, we don't uh, we don't advocate carrying amounts of cash on you because if you lose your wallet or somebody robs you of your money, there's nobody to give it back to you. Mm-hmm. Credit card is is the way to to do it, but um, be cautious in it. Um, uh, you know, if you if you're going into the store, a lot of a lot of times people say, well, if I go in the store, that's better. Um, there's no silver bullet to this because um, we're now seeing where the point of sale terminal that's in front of the cash register, they're they're getting the uh, customer services attendance really? attention, swap, swapping it out, and now you're putting your your card into a reader. Uh, the the big things to do is be vigilant. Um, one of the things that I always recommend is to try and get your gas on the inside pumps. Mm-hmm. And a good rule of thumb is if you can look and see the customer service representative in the store, mm-hmm. then that's probably safer than being on the outside pumps where they can open the doors, they can gain entry. A lot of the stations now are putting alarms on the doors mm-hmm. um, to the gas pump. So if they open it up to put the, the card reader um, inside, the skimmer inside, uh, it sets off an alarm. But you know, look for the, look for the seal on there. But don't, don't get a false sense of security because it has a seal. Because if I'm crafty enough to come up with an inline skimmer, I'm crafty enough to come up with something that looks like the seal to, uh, to reseal it with. I've always heard a little test about, like, you know, stick your finger in there and see if it's, like, loose. Is that Well, you can certainly, on the, on the external card readers where you, it mm-hmm. sticks out, you can certainly try and wiggle it, see if it's loose. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll put what's called an overlay or a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, an overlay is just they build a device that slides over the current card reader and it's got their skimmer built into it. Mm-hmm. So if it's an external one like that, then you might be able to pick it up. But most of the time, it's what we call an inline skimmer. They're actually opening the door up, mm-hmm. putting it into the body of the pump, and it's in the in the um, it's got a male and female adapter on it, mm-hmm. and away it goes. Well, and, you know, I guess it goes back to one of my other questions that I forgot to ask. You know, how does someone get involved in law enforcement, all the careers in the different departments? I mean, all the things that the sheriff's office deals with now, this is not Andy Andy Taylor and Barney Fife in Mayberry. Oh, no. I mean, it's complicated stuff, sophisticated things. I mean, you've got all the Internet crimes, the child trafficking. I mean, it's just Across the amazing. board. The skill set of the, the men and women of this agency is absolutely amazing. You know, mm-hmm. if you just look... Um, at some of the cyber crimes uh, initiatives that we work, uh, those that are targeting children. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we had one of our undercover agents uh, on, the, on the Internet that actually uh, started talking in a, in a chat room with an individual that wanted to um, uh, kill a child, then um, have sex with the child after mm-hmm. they killed the child, and then dismember the child. Um, and uh, and eat the child's body parts. Yeah, I remember them talking about you know? that Lee Brevard. Yeah, and so when you look at um, actually in the Lee Brevard class, you got to meet the agent that did it. Yeah. Um, and when you look at that, we we actually went to Texas and arrested the individual out there, and he was he was going to do it. He had all of his tools, everything mm-hmm. else. In fact, he even thanked the agents when they arrested him because he couldn't control himself anymore. Mm-hmm. When you look at that type of evil. That's out there in this world, mm-hmm. um, man. I, I thank God every night for those that are keeping guard at the door, so we can all sleep safe. I, I agree. Um, what are some tips that you have for parents who are um, they have kids that are on the computer regularly and to try to protect themselves from the, the online yeah. villains out there? Um, take the computer from them. Um, get them out in the yard playing ball or or swimming or whatever it is they're going to do. Have them involved in music or arts or whatever. But um, uh, you know we see. We see kids today that the computer becomes the babysitter, mm-hmm. and uh, too much of anything is is not good. And right. so, 
Um, if you're going to allow your child to be on the computer or on the, on the phones, the smartphones that we have today, um, what we recommend is, is limit how long they're on there mm-hmm. um, and to monitor what they're on. Today's uh, tools that are in place give, give parents a great ability to watch what their kids are looking at, to see who they're talking to, all of those other things. Employ every resource that you possibly can. Track your child's cell phone, everything else, and remember – um, every one of us, when we were kids, um, probably at some point lied to our parents, probably did something behind our parents' backs. Um, unless you just are very unique and lucky, you didn't raise the perfect child. Mm-hmm. And so your kid's probably doing some things they shouldn't be doing um, yeah. on it. And keep that in mind, you know, and um, monitor what they're doing. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. So uh, shifting gears onto uh, hot topics in the news as we head into the po- political season, um, one of the issues is going to be discussed by the politicians is um, Second Amendment rights Mm -hmm. to bear arms. Uh, You've done a lot of uh, work in this field. What is your take on that? Because we have a constitutional Second Amendment for people to have the right to bear arms, but we've also seen, unfortunately, some uh, gun attacks. I mean, my home community in Marshall County, Kentucky, had a school shooting there. In 1998, Paducah had a school shooting there. So we're kind of having to address different opinions. From a police perspective, um, what's your take on this? So um, I'll answer it in two different um, uh, avenues. Um, the, fir- the first one is, let's talk about the Second Amendment itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe the Second Amendment is was put there to protect all of the other parts of the Constitution. I really do. I, in fact, I, I often tell people the Second Amendment is the military arm of the Constitution. It was mm-hmm. put there to protect us, to, to keep us from being overrun by government, to keep us... Um, give us the ability to protect ourselves um, from there. So obviously uh, we have to make sure that we're protecting the Second Amendment, but we also have to make sure we're protecting the entire Constitution. And you see in a lot of a lot of places right now that are um, uh, p- declaring themselves at the county commission level uh, Second Amendment sanctuaries. They're, they're looking at that right now in my home county, and Marshall County. While I understand the mindset of that, uh, I disagree with it, and, and here's why. I believe that what we have to protect is the Constitution. And when you go in and you start saying, well, we're, we're just going to cut this piece of the Constitution out because it needs protecting. Uh, or when you say the Constitution is not strong enough, I need to now make it a sanctuary, what you're really doing is weakening the Constitution. And mm-hmm. so what I think we have to do as society is say the Constitution is the strongest document in our land. And it's actually the reason people want to come here and be a part of our country. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I think we have to do is start saying we're not going to let anything happen to the Constitution, not, not the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, or any other amendment that's laid out in there. And I was really proud of um, uh, Commissioner Christina Znardi, who just came forward with a, a resolution here in Brevard County mm-hmm. to uh, boldly state the Constitution is what we recognize here. Mm-hmm. And so rather than becoming a Second Amendment sanctuary, we're a Constitution sanctuary. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Second Amendment makes us, a, makes the entire country a Second Amendment sanctuary. And so what, what we have to do is make sure that we're protecting the entire Constitution. So that's, that's Avenue 1. Avenue 2. To, the, to the, the shootings that we're seeing, to the evilness, um, I, I, a lot of people will say, well, if we didn't have guns, that wouldn't happen. Well, here's the reality. Um, uh, I've carried a gun for over 40 years of law enforcement. Mm. Um, it's never shot anybody. Um, it's on my hip right now, and it hasn't shot you or me or anybody else in this room. 
it's not it's not the gun that does the damage. It's the person with the gun. And when we go back and we start looking at these school shootings, what we see is that all, the overwhelming majority, if not all of them, um, had another factor involved. It wasn't just the gun. It was a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And I think we as a nation have to step back from all this arguing and fighting about the Constitution uh, that, you know, and the Second Amendment, and we want to keep people from having that right and all this other stuff that people are, are you know, trying to say. And what we need to do is have a serious conversation about mental health in this country because our mental health system is broken. Throw the baby out with the bath and let's mm-hmm. start over. At some point, we started caring more about the cost of mental health care than we did the quality of mental health care. And we, we got to get back to focused on there are people out there that need help. There are people out there that their actions cry out for help. Go to Parkland. Go to the go to park. Mm-hmm. There were 17 missed opportunities to intervene, mm-hmm. 17 opportunities to save the lives of, of those children, and they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. They they not only did they do it, they turned a blind eye to it. And so we've got to stop that. We've got to we've got to stop having all this fight. The Constitution is the Constitution of the United States. It's the strongest document we'll ever see. Stop fighting over it. Let's let's work together on mental health issues. Let's work together on some of these things. And, you know. If you ask people, because I do it a lot, what's the first school shooting that ever happened? People will tell you Columbine. Mm-hmm. And when rea- was that? Was that, what, 95? Uh, Columbine was 1999, I believe. If, if, yeah. okay. People will tell you Columbine, but it wasn't. You can go back to 1894, mm-hmm. and the first school shooting actually happened in Pennsylvania. Um, and they went in and shot the schoolmaster and scalped all the children um, mm-hmm. in there. So school shootings are not unique to any place. In fact, unfortunately... They, they're not new, but what, what is new is the fact that social media blasts it out everywhere. Um, the politicians use it to fight over everything else, and I think we just have to focus on mental health. Um, a, a lot of times people say, well, there's no background checks. There are. There are, there are. there are systems in place that good people go through when they want to get a gun. Um, and I'll use myself as an example. If I go right now to any of our gun stores here in Brevard County and I go to purchase a gun, before I can purchase that gun, they do a full background on me and I have to come back three days later and get the gun. Even though I'm a law enforcement officer and I walked into the store with a gun on my hip, I have to come back three days later and get the gun because I don't have a concealed carry permit. And people say, well, why don't you have a concealed carry permit? I've been a cop since I was 18 years old. I never need a concealed carry permit. But Somebody that does have a concealed carry permit has gone through a background check. They've gone through those 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 hurdles to to be able to do it. So there are mechanisms in place that good people go through. Um, we just have to fix this mental health issue. I guess with the mental health issue too, um, if I remember right from the Parkland situation, you know, you said there were 17 missed opportunities. They weren't reported, and so I guess if if they did go, go through the background check, they're not seeing that. So it's like. The equation's there, but if you don't follow the equation or you don't follow the recipe, that's right. Then the recipe's no good. Yeah, and and that's and you know, and then you look at the other side of this too. Um, uh, you take London for example. London just surpassed the city of New York for the most homicides. Mm-hmm. Um, London has some of the strictest gun laws there is. The weapon of choice in London is a knife. Mm-hmm. That's what they're killing people with. So people with evil in their heart are going to find a way to commit their evil acts, right. whether it's a knife, a rock, a gun. Look at look at what happened in 9/11. Mm-hmm. Utility knives from the from the you know hardware store, 
were what were used to to kill all of those people and attack our country. So I think we have to focus on why that person's motivated to do something evil versus the instrument they're using. Right, and you mentioned on mental health. Um, you know, I guess from a law enforcement perspective and, you know, the jail system and things like that, when they, because in Florida we have the Baker Act option, um, is there a way, like, you're, we're going to be treating that differently when people are, uh, in for mental health issues or they're not in jail, they're in for treatment, things like that? Yeah, so at our jail, for example, um, when somebody comes in, the first thing that, that we do is we evaluate them um, medically and, and from a mental health standpoint. Um, we have staff there that that's, that's their only uh, assignment is to, to do that evaluation. So we're, you know, we're looking at, does this person have a criminal background or is this person here because they have a mental health issue? Now, unfortunately, sometimes... The person that has a mental health issue, their actions cause them to commit a crime. They mm-hmm. they perhaps attack someone, uh, so a crime has been committed, and that has to be dealt with. Um, but um, if if somebody's in there on a low level crime and they have a mental health issue, we're looking for resources to try and get them. We work with our state attorney Phil Archer and his team mm-hmm. very well in being able to identify this person, uh, get them get them the help they need, and and be able to kind of transition it from, okay, the criminal aspect's been handled. You know, it was a low-level crime. Now we're looking at how do we deal with the mental health issue and what resources are out there that we can get them help with. Yeah. Well, it's an issue that's going to continue, that is for sure. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to start talking about some fun things, in my opinion. We're going to talk about dogs. And we're here with Junie, a loyal member of the Brevard Sheriff's Office. Um, One of the one of my favorite things I enjoyed from the Leadership Brevard seminar was learning about the canine unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the canine unit at Brevard uh, Sheriff of- Sheriff's Office and the importance of it. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the canines are a, an extremely valuable tool for us. They and their handlers um, save lives every day in different capacities. And so uh, we have about 40 dogs all total um, in the agency. Those dogs range from uh, German Shepherds and Bel- Belgian Malawas that we use in patrol and narcotics to the bloodhounds, which um, obviously Junie is is uh, pretty well known throughout the county. If you can't uh, uh, hear him on the podcast, if I move the microphone down, you'd be able to hear him snoring because he's snoring right now. Um, he holds the record for sleeping on the job more than any other dog we have. But um, uh, Junie um, uh, is one of our bloodhounds. He's uh, one of our corrections canine team. And then uh, we also have our explosive um, ordnance dogs out at the port. And then we have um, another um, avenue of dogs, and that is our child um, uh, therapy dogs. And mm. they're used when we have a child that's been the victim of a crime. That dog goes in. Junie's actually been through that training as well. We're the only agency in the country that trains dogs in that arena. Mm-hmm. Um, we invented the program here. We um, piloted it here. And what it's for is when a child's been the victim of a crime, um, that child's scared to death. Um, they're frightened. They're in a sterile environment. Their parents aren't with them. We only get one chance at interviewing them by law. And so what we, what we decided to try, it was the, it was the uh, um, innovative idea of a young man by the name of Jesse Holton, who actually is up north now. But Jesse wanted to try and use a dog to calm the child down so that we could get a good interview and a disclosure from them. Prior to using Jesse's dog, um, uh, Primus, in the, in the program, in the pilot, we were only getting about 34% of the children that were victims to disclose to us what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, when we started using Primus in one year, we went to 81%. Wow. And uh, so we realized, man, this is, this is a great value. Well, around the same time frame, we took over animal services. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to start taking rescue dogs 
taking inmates um, under the watch of, of certified dog trainers and having the inmates train the dogs to be child therapy dogs. And we actually now give dogs away to agencies across the country mm -hmm. for free. We don't charge them anything so that their dogs can now be child therapy dogs to help calm a child when they've been the victim of a crime. That's, a, that's just a fantastic thing. That's a win-win for the dog who's been in the animal services. The dog gets adopted or you know into a family. It the, helps the inmates. Gives yep. them the dog gets a forever home. Yeah. Um, the dog is going to impact thousands of children in their lifetime, whether it's by going and visiting them in schools or helping them when they've been the victim of a crime. Mm -hmm. The inmates are learning of a trade. Um, a lot of the inmates go out and they get a job at a grooming salon or a doggy daycare, um, and um, we're able to save lives and help our live release rate um, mm -hmm. in, in our animal care center. So it's a win-win-win-win across the board. Absolutely. And we're helping other agencies we don't make them pay for the dog. We don't make them pay for the training. All they have to do is provide their transportation to get here. Mm -hmm. We got a dog waiting on them, and they take it back. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started the show. Um, in your hometown, you had a school shooting. Mm -hmm. And we actually had um, uh, dogs that have been through our program that were in neighboring county that went over and helped calm the children yeah. uh, in that school. So it's, a, it's an amazing program. But, I, you know, if you take an extended out, when you look at our canines, they, they put their lives on the line every day. Now, maybe not Junie, because um, uh, Junie is um, usually asleep in the back seat of my truck, but uh, um, our, our, our other dogs and our canine handlers are putting their lives on the line every day. They save lives every day, whether mm -hmm. it's by, by tracking down a, a criminal, by going in and doing a building search, by our bloodhounds going out and finding a missing child or a senior with Alzheimer's or dementia, um, our bomb dogs uh, mm -hmm. searching the, the cruise terminals, um, looking for explosives, looking for drugs, all of those things. Our dogs in our schools um, mm -hmm. that are keeping our schools safe. It, they're, a, they're a great resource. You know, when we get a dog, um, like one of our German Shepherds or our Malawas, we pay about $7,000 for that dog. Mm -hmm. um, when it goes through, it's almost 700 hours of training. That's a $40,000 investment that uh, can do anything from search a building to control a crowd to go in and sit with children um, mm -hmm. at a school. Um, there, there's, it's an amazing resource for us. Do you have any bulldogs on the staff? We don't have any bulldogs, but I'll tell you what, I would love to. Um, <laughs> I, um, bring I, Rodney over for a shadow. Bring Rodney over. We can get him through the, the child therapy dog thing. Um, uh, Rodney, but, but Rodney may have a little trouble judging because, you know, he looks just like the Georgia Bulldog mascot. And so that they, we're all gators here. So. Uh, yeah, I know. You know what was funny uh, mentioning that? Rodney and I... We, I was root for SEC football because usually Kentucky football, we're just kind of middle of the road. Or, right. you know, we had a, a good year the year before, just kind of so-so normally. But um, when I was driving back to Kentucky one time, and it was football season, Georgia had won a big game. I think they played Georgia Tech. And we pulled over to Chick-fil-A. Well, with, if you've got a bulldog in Georgia at that Chick-fil-A, the bulldog gets a free sandwich as well. Oh, so I man. got an extra Chick-fil-A sandwich just because of Rodney. See, I got to figure out, because I go through Georgia going to my cabin. Up I got to figure out how to make Junior look like a bulldog on those trips so I can go through there. So Yeah. yeah I don't man, think it's been for work. that particular store. <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's pretty cool. So um, so talk about the work that you guys do with animal services. I, I, I wasn't aware of that therapy training. I, I think that's wonderful. But I know at Lead Brevard you were talking about just the complete transformation that you had to do when you assumed the assumption of uh, animal services. Yeah, you know, and we took over animal services October 1st of 2014. And when we um, 
We prior to taking it over, it had become a constant source of tension uh, in front of the county commission. It was maintained by the county, and uh, almost any Tuesday that you went to a county commission meeting or you watched it on the government channel, you would hear um, people being very vocal about how bad the conditions were, how poorly the animals were being treated, how poorly the employees were being treated. Um, and uh, so the county commissioners, uh, the county manager at the time, started talking to me about taking over um, the, the uh, efforts. And so initially, um, I, I was a little bit reluctant to do so. We, we were originally going to take over the enforcement side, which is really in our wheelhouse. That's, that's our skill set. Um, and so we were going to take it over and let somebody else run the, the shelter. But as conversations continued, they kept asking me to take it over and take it over. And uh, I'll be honest with you, my only, my only reluctance to taking it over wasn't because I didn't want to do it. It was because I didn't think we brought the right skill set to the table. None of us knew anything about managing a shelter. And so um, uh, two things happened. Um, one, uh, I started getting weak in the conversations with the commissioners because I really, in my heart, um, thought we could do it. I really thought that our team could could do it and do it better. And yeah. and those animals were, you know, the live release rate prior to us taking over was 55%. Only 55 out of every 100 animals was making it out alive. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the second thing that happened was I, um, I went and talked to my wife. And uh, I told her I was struggling with the decision. I told her why, but I just didn't think we brought the right skill set to the table. And uh, my wife uh, told me, she says, Wayne, you've been sheriff for over a year. I haven't asked you for a single thing. I'm asking you to take over animal services. And so the next day I came in and told our team we were going to take it over. And boy, it was it was a it was a punch to the gut for a lot of them. They're like, oh no, we don't want to do this. This is very controversial. But at the end of the day, um, two things. One, I believed in my heart we could do it better. And two, I'm married to a redhead and I was scared to say no to her. So mm -hmm. um, uh, we took it over. I credit her with um, <laughs> us taking it over. And uh, the reality is um, I did what I said um, earlier. I picked a great team. I got them the resources they need, and I got out of their way. I gave them um, some marching orders. And those marching orders were within 24 months, I want to be able to stand before the county commission and tell them that we've gone from a 55% live release rate to an above 90% live release rate, which will make us a no-kill facility. Mm -hmm. In 18 months, we um, went from 55% to 93%, and we've maintained that ever since. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're a no-kill facility. Doesn't happen just because um, uh, we got the right team in place. Granted, they are the driving force behind it. But as part of being the right team, they were smart enough to create great community partners, to create great volunteer base, to create um, friendships with other rescues, um, innovative programs. We brought in an amazing veterinarian um, at, in the very beginning by the name of Dr. Sarah Boyd, who just taught us so much. And, and we listened. We were eager. We were thirsty to learn. And uh, today, um, it is, it's, it's amazing. In fact, if you go down to the shelter, um, we call it the Animal Care Center, we did a complete extreme makeover on it. We did it just like you would see on Extreme Makeover. Uh, it went from being really a very dismal place to now um, it's got, um, we, we served the, the uh, dogs ice cream. Uh, it's I got remember its, you talking about Yeah, that. it's got its own swimming pool. I'm a little bit worried that um, the pets dogs are, aren't going to want to leave. They're, well, they're going to start breaking in um, <laughs> instead of trying to get out. So uh, it's, uh, but again, all the credit for that goes to um, our team and our partners and our community because the community are the stakeholders. When we told them 
we're going to become no-kill, man. People were excited. Mm-hmm. And again, you go back to what people start looking at when they want to move to a community. They want to know the health and well-being of their pets is, mm-hmm. is paramount. Yeah. Well, Rodney and I made a little donation um, we, to the organization yeah, today. Thank you so much for that. For, yeah. for coming. Yeah. It's a very important thing because the animals, they, they don't have a, a voice like you and I do. and They depend on the goodness of their owners to, yeah. to be good well, I you you said you made a little donation, but you actually made a great donation. I don't want to um, uh, shortchange that. You are uh, very uh, very generous, and uh, um, you know donating to the sheriff's pet posse is one of the ways we've been able to do the things we do. Um, the resources that we've been able to to get, um, and it's not just for our animal care center. We help out our partners. Um, you know, we when we see the SPCA, the Humane Society, or um, uh, you know, feline network or purrs, one of them that needs some help. We try and help them as well with that, mm-hmm. um, from it. Well, it's not an easy job, but I just commend you and your, your team for doing an excellent job, getting that in the right direction. And, you know, it's just amazing all the, the things that are going on in the Brevard County Sheriff's office and that's under your leadership. So, um, one thing that you mentioned at Lee Brevard, um, that I didn't put on the sheet, but I know you talked about it was leadership style. What's mm-hmm. your, like, um, if you're like, counseling people on leadership what what do you tell them um so you know the the first thing that i i tell everybody is um uh i i have a very unique leadership style um and uh i lead by standing around and when i first tell people that they laugh because they think i'm joking but i was actually speaking on leadership one day and as i walked in i, I didn't know what i was talking about um i just i, I got to the place and my team said uh, i said what am i talking about and they said leadership and so a lot of times I go into a place I'm talking about active shooters or I'm talking about the crime rate or, you know, things of that nature. But in that case, I, I was sitting at the table and I'm like, all right, what am I going to say in the next 20 minutes that I've got to speak at this luncheon? And so I thought about what my leadership style was. And, uh, um, uh, you know, there's all sorts of leadership styles out there. There's uh, management by walking around. I have a 78-mile county. Um, you can't walk around this county. Um, there's helicopter management where you hover over your people. Man, that's not my style. There's, there's management from 30,000 feet. That's not my style. I like to know what's going on. I like to be involved. Um, I think that's how you know what your team needs um, from it. So I thought, well, what is my leadership style? And uh, it, it occurred to me that I lead by standing around. And uh, I stand behind my people when they need a kick in the butt. I stand beside them in the trenches when they're working. I stand in front of them if somebody's taking a shot at them. And other than that, I stand back and I watch them do amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what my, my advice to anybody in a leadership role would be to believe in your people. Uh, pick the right people, believe in them, and they will amaze you. They will, they, will, they will do amazing things if you just give them the ability to do it. That's some good advice. Yes. So before we get to our living the dream questions, I want to give you another opportunity just to brag about your t- on your team at BSO and, um, and all the law enforcement guys and women because it's a very difficult job. Uh, they put their lives on the line every day, and they command our respect. Yeah, they, they absolutely do. And, you know, um, uh, as I said earlier um, in the program, um, I, I am honored to get to wear the same uniform uh, that, uh, that the, the men and women out there putting their lives on the line every day wear. Um, I know some sheriffs, and I'm not being critical of them, it's just not my style, but some sheriffs wear white shirts or they wear a different uniform than their, their uh, uh, team. Man, I just want to wear the same uniform. I just want to be like them. I go out and I try and spend as much time with them as I can because they're the real heroes. They're the, they're the ones that 
are putting it on the line every day. And it's not just the ones that you see riding around in the star car. It's not just the corrections deputies that are going into cell with some of the worst criminals, you know, that, that you can imagine. It's, it's the other members of the agency as well, and it doesn't matter what role they play in this agency. They are vital to our success. Mm-hmm. And that, that person might be somebody that works in career development that's helping us recruit the very best of the best. It might be somebody that works in training that is helping train our team to survive in some of the toughest and most critical situations. It might be the, the person that um, uh, is doing our payroll that's making sure everybody gets paid so they're happy and they can take care of their families. It, it might be the person that makes our computers turn on. Whatever their role is, it is vital to our success. And so, you know, when you look at the accomplishments of this, this agency, to, to, to be part of an agency that can say, in the past seven years, our crime rate has dropped 33% is profound. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to look at the other stuff that went into that. It wasn't just lowering the crime rate. It was all of the lives that were saved. It was the deputy that ran into a burning house. It was the off-duty member that stopped an incident in a, in a store. All of that just goes hand in hand. And, man, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I consider myself to be blessed to just get to work at this agency. To sit in the chair that I get to sit in is is something I never dreamed would ever happen. But just to be able to get in a car and go ride with one of this team is what makes my day. Yeah. Well, um, I'm very pleased with uh, all the success the BSO has, has had. I know it's a, a very, very hard job. It takes a huge team of committed, reliable people. And uh, I'm just thrilled you were able to come on the show and just kind of share the good works that are going on at BSO and also give some practical advice and good tips to the listeners out there because, you know, it's all, it's a completely different world than when I was a, a teenager and graduating in the 90s or growing up in the 80s and stuff. I mean, it's just a completely different world and yeah. it's going to continue to be that way. Yeah, it really is. So, so we'll get into our living the dream questions. These are our fun questions. Um, just five questions for you. All right. all right. There have been a lot of great police characters in the world of TV and movies, ranging from Andy Griffith and Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith Show, Sheriff Bart from one of my favorite movies, Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles, Lieutenant Frank Drebin on the Naked Gun movies, and Will Smith from Men in Black. Oh, and of course, uh, Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, absolutely. Who are some of your favorite uh, fictional police characters? Well, um, w- without question, um, I-, I would have to say from Smokey and the Bandit, oh, um, yeah. Jack- Jackie Gleason um, <laughs> and the role that he played. Uh, you know, you just, you just can't, uh, you can't uh, overcome that. Um, uh, uh, obviously, um, Joe Don Baker in, uh, uh, his role in Walking Tall, uh, was, uh, was a great character, but then there's some others too, you know, um, one of the, one of the ones that I always enjoyed watching was, um, Sipowitz on, uh, NYPD Blue, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, um, uh, I, I have to tell you a funny story. I used to, when I would go places, you know how they make you sign in at the window. So if I was going to state attorney's office or whatever, I would always sign at the window, um, uh, uh, Detective Sipowitz. And, uh, and it was always comical to see the person come up and say, Detective Sipowitz, you know, is next up. And, and everybody's looking around the room, you know. And so um, uh, certainly I'm going old school here now. Um, uh, uh, Don Johnson. And, oh, from uh, Miami Vice, Vice yeah. Crockett and Tubbs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I laugh because when I worked in Putnam County at the sheriff's office, 
uh, working narcotics. My partner was a guy by the name of Scott Simmons, and um, he was super uh, muscular, well-built. And so they used to call me and him Crockett and Tubby. And uh, so you can probably probably figure out who was Tubby in that that role. So, um, but, uh, you know, just uh, you know, um, I mean, I go. I love Will Smith, um, his roles that he's played in Men in Black, and certainly um, in uh, Bad Boys. He's always yeah. playing a cop saving the world. That's the theme of a Will Smith movie. That, exactly, you know, and, and what a great guy, though. I mean, you you look at him, you look at Will Smith and how he carries himself and, and everything else. Um, Eddie Murphy, Beverly mm-hmm. Hills Cop, and then uh, now this is really old school. Uh, a lot of people may not even remember this, but um, Nick Nolte in uh, Forty Eight oh, Hours. hours yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that doesn't go back as old school as Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith or was yeah. Sheriff Bart from Blazing Saddles. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So. So, um, well, Brevard County has a lot of hot spots, uh, tourist attractions, a lot of good restaurants. So what are some of your favorite restaurants and hot spots in Brevard County? So I, I, I don't really have any hot spots that I go because usually I'm, I'm working and uh, I, um, when I get off, I, I go home and try and recharge my batteries. But um, restaurants, man, uh, we have so many great restaurants. You know, we try and highlight a lot of our mom and pop restaurants on, um, on our, our show Cooking Up Justice on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And uh, which again is another way to reach out to our community, but um, you know some of the um, some of the places that uh, I end up at quite a bit is certainly um, Sunny's and Woody's and Dustin's Barbecue. I love all of those places. I have I have a lunch at Sunny's almost every day over in Vieira. Oh yeah, so yeah, right there it's on uh, Sheriff Lane. Yeah, on Sheriff Lane. Yeah. So um, uh, Mexican food, I love um, El Encito and uh, El Chaparral. I go um, go there. Um, uh, quite a bit. Um, Brooklyn Pizza, um, San Remo's, um, mm. uh, trying to think uh, some of the other other places that um, I go on a regular basis. One of, one of my favorite places, uh, and our team goes there quite a bit. I don't get to go over that area as much as I'd like to, but um, Southern Charm Restaurant um, over in Canaveral mm. is um, just a, a great restaurant. They love law enforcement. They love military. In fact, a neat little thing they just remodeled in Southern Charm, and one of the things that just really touched my heart was um when they redesigned the restaurant they put in seating where um law enforcement officers and military or somebody that has ptsd can sit with their back um Mm -hmm. to the wall so that nobody can walk up on they had enough um forward thinking to uh to to do it and they purposely built it that way so just just a that's an interesting thing yeah but they're you're right i mean we're, we're doing a neat thing on cooking up justice right now um, and that is um, cooking up justice food truck style. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just did one down in Palm Bay, um, Vin Paca, which is um, actually owned by one of our deputies. AV mm-hmm. and his family owns that. And uh, so we just, you know, we get out. And I love it. Um, Pizza Gallery, uh, you know, places like that, that um, uh, just so many great places here. Yep. And, and a lot of mom and pop places that, it is, you know, yep. really, really, I think, capture the culture of, of our, our community. And usually they're the better restaurants. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. all right. So if you could have, staying on the theme of food here, if you could have dinner with three celebrities, living or dead, who would you pick? Man, you know, um, I, I will tell you that, um, uh, can, I, can I have four? Sure. Uh, all right, so I'm going to have four. So uh, um, one of them would be um, General George Patton. Mm-hmm. I am a huge Patton enthusiast. Um, and, uh, in fact, um, <clears throat> I have a um, tattoo on my arm that's um, Ladas, Ladas, Toujours Ladas, which is a um, famous Patton statement, um, uh, audacity, audacity, always audacity. I'd love just to pick his brain um, and uh, spend some time uh, talking to him. Another one is um, uh, Coach Jim Valvano. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, from NC State. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the most motivating uh, uh, people that we've ever had in our country. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, his uh, his humor, 
um, uh, is just absolutely amazing. And if you ever get the opportunity, if you haven't, um, listen to uh, his um, his motivational speech. It's called Cut Down the Nets. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was actually talking to the Million Dollar Roundtable um, of insurance. And uh, it's just probably one of the most motivating things I've ever heard in my life. So I'd love to sit with him. Um, our president, um, I've had the opportunity to be in the Oval Office with President Trump, but I would really like to go to one of those um, award ceremonies he does with all the McDonald's and the pizza and the chicken and everything else. Um, I, I'd love to, to sit with him. And, uh, and then the last one, and would actually be my first pick, is um, I, would, I would love to be able to break bread one more time with my father. Mm. Um, who I lost in 1997 to cancer. Oh, um, I'd give anything in the world to spend five minutes with him. Yeah. Well, that, that leads into our uh, next question, and it might be one of your answers. Who are your biggest mentors? Um, my biggest mentors, um, uh, without question, my father. Um, he taught me to do the right thing. Um, he and my mom, I was very blessed um, to have two wonderful parents. Um, my father, though, um, taught me to always do the right thing, even when nobody's looking. Um, he taught me to laugh at myself, to laugh at others, um, uh, but to support others. Um, he taught me to um, work hard, get up every day and love what you're doing, which I do. I get up every day and uh, can't wait to do this job. Um, General Patton, and uh, I've probably watched the movie Patton, um, man, I'm going to tell you probably somewhere around 100 times. Mm -hmm. And uh, each time I walk away, I've, I've learned. I've read, I've read his books. Patent on leadership, um, uh, just I, I can go patent the patent papers, mm. read all of it. So um, I've tried to um, extract as much from his style of leadership as possible. Uh, and then um, uh, uh, two others, um, Jim Valvano mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and his coaching motivation, his uh, outlook on life. And then a kid that um, not a lot of people may have heard of um, and uh just recently became a huge fan and, and uh, uh, reading as much as I can about him. A kid by the name of um, Brendan um, Burleson, mm -hmm. who um, uh, was a walk-on at um, Arkansas. And uh, um, ended played up, football? Played football, mm -hmm. was a walk-on at Arkansas, ended up earning a scholarship and uh, actually becoming, um, uh, was drafted mm -hmm. um, and then got killed in a car accident. And uh, his work ethic um, mm -hmm. If you follow his story and if you follow, or I'm not, sorry, Brendan Bullsworth, um, if you follow the story of Brendan Bullsworth, what you'll see is a kid that really set his sights, his mm -hmm. goals, and said, nothing's going to stand in my way. Yeah. Um, and uh, so those, um, those have been some great um, uh, mentors in my life. Yeah, those are some very good answers. So final question, how's Sheriff Wayne Ivey living the dream? Man, um, I said it earlier, I never thought I'd get the chance to do this job. So for me, uh, being surrounded by an amazing team of men and women that, uh, that are putting it out there every day, um, uh, having, having an incredible family, um, uh, having um, uh, just a community that surrounds us, um, uh, that's, that's always been my dream, man. To do, to do this job was always a dream. I just never thought I'd get to, you know. And, and so um, a lot of times people will tell me I should run for other, uh, you know, types of office and stuff. But, man, I've been a cop my whole life, and that's all I've ever wanted to do, and that's all I ever want to do. And yeah. so um, sometimes folks will say to me, I see you at this event, and I see you at this event, and you're here, and you're there, and you work in this. Um, you know, how do you do it? And so the answer for that is very simple. This job is like going to Disney World for me. I've waited my whole life to get here. I'm gonna ride every ride in this park before I leave. Mm -hmm. And I know one day the park will close. Um, and when it does, my wife and I are gonna go out and we're gonna get in our car. 
we're going to drive off and uh, we're going to look back knowing that uh, we closed that park. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's just, you know, a tremendous opportunity and honor for me to have you on this show with all the accomplishments that you have and, you know, your, your humbleness and me coming from a small town in Western Kentucky. It's like you're just one of the boys. Yeah, kind of I, that's, that's the greatest compliment you could ever give me right So there. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your staff working with me to bring you on the show. appreciate Junie <laughs> inviting me into the house as well. Yeah. So, um, it, once again, thank you so much for all that you give uh, to my honor, County man. and the hard work you and your staff do. And thanks so much for being on the show. Man, it was my pleasure. Like, have me back anytime. I'd love to. Yeah, all right. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a, a, a great visit with uh, Sheriff Wayne Ivey of the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. Uh, definitely follow the Sheriff's Office on Facebook and on uh, YouTube. Keep up to date. And also, you know, some of my listeners are in law enforcement. I have a brother-in-law that's in law enforcement. And maybe you guys pick up some tips or maybe, who knows, you may even work together on certain things. You never know, but you can always uh, learn from others. And I think there's a lot to be learned from the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. So again, thank you, Sheriff Ivy, for coming on the show. Man, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right, folks. So hope you all enjoyed the episode. Have a great week and we will uh, check in next week. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.